want to share a couple of thoughts with you here on this passage, one you're familiar with. Um, I'm sure you've read it before, uh, studied it, some of you. And uh, this is where Jesus, after the triumphal entry, goes into the, the temple and cleanses the temple. Now, there were two times that Jesus' ministry cleansed the temple. The beginning of his ministry, which is in the book of John, and at the end of his ministry, which is in the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in this passage, in verse 12, it says, And Jesus went into the temple of God, and he drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple, and overturned the tables of the money changers, and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves." The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? And then he left them and he went out to the city of Bethany and he lodged there, which he was staying at Lazarus's house. Now, I'm going to give you four points, okay? You can write these down if you're a note taker. Hopefully some of you are note takers. This will be really helpful to you. Uh, One is purge, two is prayer, three is power, four is praise, all right? So if you're writing notes, you can write those four words down. One is purge, two is prayer, three is power, four is praise. When we look at this passage, we think about, you know, he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And, it, and it's, really, it's really interesting for us because, and this is where tradition comes in, and uh, for you and I, because when we think of house of prayer, we tend to think of the house, the building. But the word here in the Greek language, and I'm not going to go too deep into this because I know you'll be bored to tears with it, but the word house here isn't talking about a physical building. In the Greek language, it's the Greek word oikos, which means family. And what he's saying is it's more about the people than it is about the building. Now, in our culture, what we've done is we, we say things like, I'm going to the house of prayer, and we think about, I'm going to the building of prayer. And that's why that you have people not praying at home and have people that will pray at church, because it was never intended to be that way, and that isn't even what Jesus said here. What he was talking about is, is that, that he said, you have turned my my family of prayer, you've taken what was to be family relational prayer and you have made it a den of thieves. You've corrupted it. Now, if you go back and you study, and we won't turn to this this morning, but if you go back where this passage is from, this is out of the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 56. In Isaiah 56, if you look at it in the context, what God is saying in Isaiah 56 to the people is, look, here's the deal. Anyone who believes on me, no matter where they come from, no matter what race they are, no matter what nationality they are, no matter what creed they are, if they believe on me, then they can come to my house of prayer. What he's saying is, look, if you believe on me, no matter where you come from, if you're from Africa, if you're from uh, New Zealand, if you're from India, if you're from, no matter who it is, you, where you come from doesn't make a difference to me. You're part of my house, my family of prayer. Does that make sense to everybody? 
So what God is trying to say and why Jesus is dealing with this, this especially is because what this really was doing in the temple was becoming about how they were dividing, how people didn't have enough money, how there was negotiating going on and thievery going on to steal from people that didn't have a whole lot of resources and how that it was actually ostracizing people. The attitude became more about the structure and the building and the property of where it was all happening instead of about the people and the hearts of the people. Are you getting my drift now? So see, when Jesus comes in and says, look, you turned it into a den of thieves, what he's saying is, is that you have totally corrupted the whole purpose of why we come to pray because we are a family that prays together and we pray for one another. So what does he have to do? He has to purge it. He has to purge it. And purging is not a bad thing. You know, I was teasing you a little earlier about that, but, uh, you know, about purging stuff out of our homes and the clutter. You know, it really does affect us when we have too many things around us. It does affect us. Uh, we spend more time looking for stuff that, you know, you know it's like um, uh, if you watch Hulu or one of the, the media services, you could spend more time looking for what you want to watch than actually watching something. Because your brain is always going, well, maybe there's something else. Maybe there's something else. Maybe there's something else. Maybe there's something else. But go over here and look here. See what's here. Do I feel like a comedy? Do I feel like a Western? Do I feel like a drama? Do I feel like a love story? Should I go over to Hallmark Channel? Should I do, you know, where should I? And so we're all over the place because our, our mind is cluttered. Remember, when we were kids, okay, when we were kids, we had three options. Right on TV. ABC, NBC, CBS. No Fox, no nothing. Okay, you had, so what, whatever was happening was happening there. Then independent channels started coming along. You might have had a, a UHF channel, okay? But you didn't have a lot of options. So you didn't have to think a lot about what you were going to watch on TV. If you wanted to know the news, you had a couple of resources, radio, TV, and the newspaper, right? And gossip. But you had options, right? You had a couple of options. But see, what happens is, is that we become cluttered in our lives. And, and spiritually, we become cluttered as well. And so that's why the Bible tells us, uh, if you want to write these down, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm going to take a look at this one here. I think this will be helpful to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, in verse, um, verse uh, 7, he says... Um, talking about at the church and what was happening in the church. He says, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us not keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So what's he saying? Get rid of the old stuff. Get rid of this, this, this malice and, and get rid of out of the wickedness that tries to get in. Now, if you go over to, um, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he says in verse 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, <clears throat> let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 
So what's he, this was written to Christians. This isn't written to people that don't know God. This is written to people who know God. And he's saying, look, we have promises. Let's get rid of the stuff. So there's a couple of assumptions we can make out of this, all right? One is you're going to get stuff. Two, you need to get rid of stuff. There's things you're going to have to purge out of your life. And there's things that are just going to come in. Offenses, you know, Jesus said, offenses are going to come. They will come. They're all over the place today. Aggressive offenses that are attacking people and destroying and attacking their faith and attacking their, their courage. It's incredible, the stuff that's happening. You and I, what we have to realize is they're going to come. It's kind of like that passage in Isaiah where he says that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. You know, it's interesting. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment shall be shown to be in the wrong. God never said there that there wouldn't be a weapon formed against you. He just said it wouldn't prosper. But it can prosper if you let it prosper. So what we have to do is we got to get rid of the thoughts and the things that try to creep in there the way that we think about. And that's what was happening here with the Jews. And, and that's why he purged it out. He said, look, you guys have let this. I'm, everything starts out with good intentions. All these things start out. The, the, the selling of the wares, the selling of the doves, the sheep, the goats, the things for sat. That was all started with good intention. People needed it. They filled, found a need and filled it, made some money on it. But then it became about greed and graft and all the different things. And when it did, it corrupted itself. And Jesus said, look, we're not going to have that here. So understand in our lives that what happens is things do get in. That doesn't mean something's wrong with you. It just means you're living life. But what has to happen is, is that you as a believer have to purge those things out of your life. Because if you don't, they'll be detrimental to your faith. Let me give you another verse here. 2 Corinthians 13. 2 Corinthians 13. And uh, this, is really, this is really amazing. All right, he says in verse 5 of chapter 13, 2 Corinthians, examine yourselves. Let me, let me talk to you about exams. Has anybody here ever had an exam? All right, let me tell you, and, and just let's keep this clean, okay? When you get an exam, the doctor's going to go where you don't normally go. Let me just let that sink in for a second. If you go get an exam, whatever kind of exam it is, the doctor's going to go places to examine you that you don't normally visit on your body. That's what they do because they're examining. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, examine yourselves. Take a look at yourselves. Go to places that you don't normally visit in your life. Take a look at these things as to whether you are in the faith. Are you in faith in those areas? Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. And then he goes on and says, but I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. So what is he talking about? He's saying, look, guys, examine. Go deep. Look inside. Look in your heart. Look in areas of your life that you don't normally... What's in the closet? What are you hiding? What you shove down at the bottom of the drawer you don't want to take a peek at or don't want anybody else to know about? 
I don't want to know about it. I'm just talking about you. He, he didn't say, you know, examine yourself in front of everybody. He said, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Now, I want you to go to the book of Hebrews with me. The book of Hebrews. I want to read this to you. I believe this will really help us this morning. We're talking about purge. We haven't even got to prayer yet. But see, once you start purging these things, prayer becomes much more fluid. Becomes much. The reason we struggle with prayer in our lives, the reason we struggle with prayer, especially praying for one another, uh, is because of the we don't have fluidity in our lives in our prayer life. The reason we don't have fluidity is because there's stuff clogging up the stream, stuff that gets in there. I'll give you an example. Someone says, uh, I'm battling cancer. Would you pray for me? Uh, so here's what, you know, here's what comes up. See, what's in the drain there? What's going through the tubes? Well, I, I'll, yes, I'll, we will say yes. But here's where the fluidity gets dammed up. Well, I remember someone we prayed for before and they died from cancer. Now look, nobody's saying that's a wrong. That actually is what happened. But what are you going to do with that piece of information? You've got to flush it out. You've got to flush it out at the cross. All the things that you can't figure out and don't have an answer for, how about you do yourself a really big favor and just lay them at the foot of the cross and say, Lord... Someday we'll understand. I don't understand. I just give this all to you. I mean, there's anything wrong with that. You know, God doesn't expect you to have all the answers. I know you expect your pastor to have all the answers, but God doesn't expect you guys to have all the answers. None of us can have all the answers. There's a bunch of stuff I don't get. I just put, the only thing I can do is put it at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, I trust you. I, I believe in you. I know you're working and I don't know. I don't understand, but I'm not going to let what I don't understand stop me from what I do understand. And that is that you're a healer. Well, this is good preaching. All right, I want you to look at this uh, chapter, uh, eight, chapter 12, Hebrews. So, the writer of Hebrews starts into this whole dialogue about the church. And uh, he says in verse 22, Look, you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, hallelujah, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. This is what we belong to. And to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Now listen, see that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, he's promised this now, I shake, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates that the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom, and let me just throw this in here with this, that they shall remain. 
Go back to your Bible stories that Jesus told about the man that built his house on the rocks and the man that built his house on the sand. Whose house didn't stay? On the sand, right? Jesus said, if you build your house on the rock, you're building it on the word and the winds will come and the storms will come. He didn't say they wouldn't come. They'll come, but you will remain, okay? So he says here, he says, so the things which cannot be shaken, which is the word in your life, may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, let me read this to you out of a, an expanded version. I may not get through all this today, but that's okay. You'll be back at some point. You'll be back. All right. Verse uh, 22. This is a more expanded translation of the verses. By contrast, we have already come near to God in a totally different realm, the Zion realm. For we have entered the city of the living God, which is the new Jerusalem in heaven. We have joined the festal gathering of myriads of angels in their joyous celebration. Now, this is not Paul dead telling the story. This is Paul talking about from earth. See, that's one thing we have to remember, that this is the church, but the church is bigger than the church. The church is those who are in heaven as well. Paul's in the church. Peter's in the church. You know, these people that have, are gone. Martin Luther's in the church. Martin Luther King's in the, All these people are in the church. They're all part of the church. And the way that God views it is, is that even though we're on earth in the church, we're still with them in heaven that are the church. We have joined the festal gathering of the myriads of angels in their joyous celebration. And as members of the church of the firstborn, all our names have been legally registered as citizens of heaven. And we have come before God who judges all and who lives among the spirits of the righteous who have been made perfect in his eyes. And we have come to Jesus who established a new covenant with his blood sprinkled upon the mercy seat, blood that continues to speak from heaven, forgiveness, Forgiveness, a better message than Abel's blood that cries from the earth, justice. I want you to remember those two words, forgiveness and justice. Make sure that you never refuse to listen to God when he speaks. For God who spoke on earth from Sinai is the same God who now speaks from heaven. Those who heard him speak his living word on earth found nowhere to hide. So what chance is there for us to escape if we turn our backs on God and refuse to hear his warning as he speaks from heaven? The earth was rocked at the sound of his voice from the mountain, but now he has promised, once and for all, I will not only shake the systems of the world, but I'm going to also the unseen powers in the heavenly realm. You realize you're living this right now. You're seeing the systems of the world are being shaken completely. They're being shaken I'm not, look, don't ever think I'm saying God created a pandemic. I'm telling you that there are things that are being shaken because God said and it has opened up. Mankind has opened himself up to all these things. Right. Now this phrase once and for all clearly indicates the final removal of things that are shaking 
that is the old order. So only what is unshakable will remain. Since we're receiving our rights to an unshakable kingdom, we should be extremely thankful and offer God the purest worship that delights his heart as we lay down our lives in absolute surrender, filled with awe, for our God is holy and is a devouring fire. And is a devouring fire. Now, we talk about purge. And I think this is one of the biggies right now that we're dealing with in, in, in the church. It's, uh, I think it's trying to slowly creep. It's the word justice and the word forgiveness. Okay? Now, justice has been redefined. Justice now is not about equality. It's about vengeance. It was, it's become about paybacks. Justice is, now pay attention, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You did this to me, now I'm going to do this to you. This is the only way we can make it right. Watch your news. I'm not making it up. I'm telling you that's what justice has become. Now, justice should be about equality. All men are created, all men and women are created equal in the sight of God. No one should be treated less than anybody else. But because of sin, man will always try to treat others different than him, that are different than him, than himself, which is, is wrong. It was never God's divine intent. Are you all with me right now? I don't want to go too deep on this, but I just want you to understand that, look, this whole definition that we're dealing with of social justice and justice is about retribution. It is not about equality anymore because it's fueled in frustration and anger. Now, should there be frustration and anger? Yeah, absolutely, there should be. There's prejudice in our land. There's racism in our land. There's inequality. I mean, nobody, everybody talks about the racism. They, nobody talks about the inequalities with men and women. Thank you for your enthusiasm. So what, <laughs> thanks, Omar. <laughs> that was Omar Cruz for you, those of you watching online. But, but, but see, here, here's, here's what I want to get to. What really had, the believer, the Christian, see, you have to be careful of this. Because if we become about justice, are we going to make everybody that did us wrong pay us back? You know, I was sexually abused as a kid. Justice, by today's definition, would mean that I got to go after the guy who did that to me way, way, way back. Forty, fifty-two years ago. That's a long time. But justice says it's not settled until he pays for what he has done. But the Christian is about forgiveness. Yeah, man, that's what we have to come back with, forgiveness. So I choose to forgive. Am I angry about it? You better believe it. It ruined, it ruined part of my life. Are you listening? Do you understand what I'm saying? It ruined part of my life. But look, I can't let something that happened that far back in my life 
continue to screw up my future. So what do I have to do? I have to let it go. That's what forgiveness means. Let it go. People don't want to hear that. That's hard. You got, but you got to let it go. Well, 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 wait a minute now. Listen, that won't make it right. Absolutely won't make it right. But what it'll do is make you right. We'll hear more and more a push about justice. Don't allow yourself to fall into that because the Christian is about forgiveness. You say, well, it's easy for you to say forgive because you haven't had done... Look, I've, all of us have had stuff done to us, everybody here. There's, we all have a list, right? We could all have a list. If we wanted to, we could get that list out. And There's coaches and teachers and neighbors and friends and girlfriends and boyfriends and ex-spouses and kids, your children, right? We could have a whole list, lawyers and doctors, and the list could be so long. And we could be like, I can't be right until they all... Make it right with me. You're going to live your whole life in bitterness. And that's exactly what this image of justice is doing right now. Because it's not creating peace, it's creating bitterness. I feel for people that have been mistreated. I really do. I feel, I feel for them. It's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. But my only message I can bring to them with any real valid help, is the love of God and the forgiveness of God. Now, we talked about Jesus purged. I think this is a big one that's gotten in the church. <laughs> Thanks, Chuck. I think it's gotten in because I think it creeps in slowly. We get caught up in all the junk that's going on in our world and everybody's got an opinion but what we need to make sure is the bible says that our language is seasoned with grace and that when we talk with people that it's seasoned with love and kindness and as mike said killed with kindness that we you know jesus said it, it look I, i'll and and some of you will be mad at me but but just understand the spirit in which i say this that i'm right and you're wrong um <laughs> No, no, I'm just kidding. Jesus did not say, and they will know you are Christians by your politics. They will know you're Christians by your love. Now listen, your love for one another. Your love for one another. So the church is a bastion of love for one another, okay? And look, there has to be latitude. I have a, look, I'm as political as anybody. I have a very strong political opinion, very strong. But here's the thing. I want people that don't have the same opinion as me to feel like they can come to this church because I want to draw them to the same Jesus that I have learned to love and know and understand. I won't agree with what they believe. Are you here? But I'll love them. But I'll love them. So here's, here, here, that forgiveness has to permeate out of the church. It's what he talks about here in Hebrews. He says, listen, let your love, let the worship just overtake your life. Fall in love with God. Remember, we talked about there's no, there's no the prayer is so difficult for God's people because there's no fluidity to it. 
because we got all this stuff that's in between and in the pipes that's blocking all that from happening. And I'm running out of time, but yeah, thanks. The wieners will get dried out down there on the farm and then I'll be in trouble. <laughs> and you know we can't have dry wieners for dinner. That's just not going to work. So, now look. What we want in our atmosphere, in our culture as God's people, is this to be a family of prayer. Not a building of prayer. A family of prayer. True love, true concern. And today, if you're here and you're, look, you're struggling right now because of what someone did to you, my admonition to you is lay it down. You say, well, I don't know if I have the strength to put it down. Look, if you'll take the first step, God will meet you in that first step. He ain't going to take the first step for you. He already did that. He says, I'll help you, but you got to do something here, okay? And you have to put it away. Because here's what happens, and we'll move on. When we hold on to unforgiveness, when, when someone has done something to us, and we hold on to it, and we rehearse it, and we nurse it, and we keep it going, and we keep those perpetual fires going in our life, what ends up happening is it torments us. I actually believe that there are demonic things that try to work their way in to try to torment the believer that's holding on to bitterness and anger. And the Bible tells you that unforgiveness will never really stay unforgiveness. This is in the book of Ephesians. will always turn into bitterness. And then it'll become a root of bitterness. And then here's where it gets really bad. Because your root of bitterness that's now dwelling in your heart because it was for unforgiveness at one point, which was just the seed, now that bitterness will be so deep that the Bible says you will defile other people with your bitterness. You can't contain it because what you'll have to do is try to corrupt other people towards that as well. Thank you. Amen. See, I told you the dream you were shouting at this point. You're like, whoo, come on, pastor, that's awesome. Like one brother said, he says, pastor, just know when it gets quiet, it's because people are thinking. Amen. Amen. I, I wish I could, you had a screen on your forehead. I could see what was going on in there. Hot dogs. Pie contest. Donuts. <laughs> Go back to Matthew with me, if you would. Matthew 21. Purge. Purge it out. He goes on and he says that, look, when the house becomes a place of prayer, when the family becomes a place of prayer, here's what happens. Power gets released. Power gets released. Notice what took place. The blind, the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. You know, the, the real power has not been released in the church yet. I mean, it's been released from heaven, but it has not been released in the church yet. Because power works through faith. Faith works through love. There, Galatians 5, 6. Faith works by love. So the root of faith is love. The root of power is faith. You believe, you confess, you speak, and things are released, and things begin to happen. So the real power has not been released yet. I mean, we've seen snippets of it. But I'm talking about glorious, powerful expressions 
and demonstrations of God among God's, not just here. I'm not talking, see, don't, don't turn it into just to being about a church service. In your life, at your neighbor's house, at Walmart, Meyer, work, powerful expressions of demonstration. You know, there are those who have said that all the works that the apostles did, those are all over with because the gospel has been confirmed. Let me tell you that all that is done is left the church impotent. It's left the church in a powerless position to produce because it's just a reflective thing instead of an ongoing, powerful release of the Spirit. I mean, what do we do with Ephesians 3.20 that says he's able to do exceeding and abundantly above everything that we could ask or think according to his power that works in us? I believe the greatest demonstrations of power, some of you, and you just need to start preparing your thinking, are going to be confronted with demonic things that you're going to have to face in public. One thing I learned about being in a public, when you're, the more vocal you are, the more demonic stuff that will show up. And you, better, you, you can't get ready for it then. Get ready for it now. These things will show up. You want to take a stand for something? Watch what shows up. Watch what shows up. People that take a stand for righteousness get persecuted. People that take a, Jesus told us all this would happen. If you take a stand for what is right in society today, you will be persecuted. I want to admonish you this week, if you would, I almost forgot about this, to pray Thursday uh, in Michigan especially. They have set it aside as a national day of prayer and fasting in the state of Michigan. And, of course, we want to pray for our state. We want to pray for our governor, pray for our attorney general. We want to pray for our legislature. But greater than all of that, we want to pray for a move of God that will sweep. And it will start, look, it ain't going to start out on, it will start right here in the house of God. The other thing I really want to encourage you about is just to be praying about the warfare that's broke out over the Supreme Court. All right? Look, this is a pro-life church. Pro-life. On all levels. On all levels. It's, it, that isn't even an arguable point with me. Okay? So here's the thing. We're a pro-life church. I'm believing God for a pro-life justice. Hey, will that cause conflict? Oh my gosh, the warfare's already started. But realize, if we get all the junk out of the conduit, and we get in a real fluidity of prayer, we could change this nation. We could change our world. We could change our families. We could see a mighty move. Can I get anybody to... You were really shouting in the dream at this part, man. This was where it got real exciting. See, real power. And then you notice, and then we'll, we'll stop here this morning, but that power gets released. What happens is praise starts happening. Not praise for people, praise for God. Praise that God is working in our midst. Praise that God is providing in our midst. Praise that, that God is, is real. You know, two questions people have today. Regardless of 
what their understanding is. One is, is that, is your God real? And what you believe, does it work? Now, most people believe it's real, but they can't explain that it works. It's time to start letting it do its work. Hallelujah. Is it real and does it work? That's all people really want to know. Is it a real deal? I mean, or is this some kind of religious nonsense? Look, I don't want us to, I want us to have something that's real. That when we pray over our meals, we actually believe God is taking impurities and sicknesses and diseases and junk out of that meal. My granddaughter and I were talking the other day and she said, she said, uh, she says, yeah, well, you know, because in school and she said all the COVID-19 stuff. And I said, honey, here's what your mom, grandma and I believe. If it even tries to come near us, we're not getting it. It can't come here. You say, well, now I don't know if I, I'd say that because you don't know. You do. Well, look, I'd rather say that than if I have to deal with it, deal with it. I'm not getting cancer. Well, I'll feel pretty good about saying that, right? I'm not getting cancer. How about you start declaring, I am not getting COVID-19. It is not coming in my household. No plague or calamity. And you say, look, if you've already dealt with it, that's, that doesn't mean a thing that that changes any of that. I, start, I think we make bold declarations. If it comes near me, touches my body, that, that little spiky virus thing dies instantly because it can't be where the house of God is. Amen. Get your faith on it. Now. Don't wait. Now. Now. And if it does come, then deal with it. Begin to make bold. You are not welcome in this household. You are not welcome here. You know, when a thief comes in and tries to get into your house, what do you do? You don't sit there and go, well, I don't know. What do we do? I don't know. Should we call the police? Should we I don't know. Should we try to stop them? You know, here's what I do. If a thief comes in my house, I open my gun safe. I'm half open at any time I hear something that I don't recognize. You don't know in today's world. Because here's what I'm going to say. You are not welcome here. And you, if you want to live, you better get out of here. You better find you somebody else to mess with. You're not messing with us. I mean, I got rifles, pistols, I got it all. So don't mess with me. Amen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and look, I, I'm not trying to be, I'm not being a smart aleck. I'm just telling you that, look, when a predator, when something comes against you, you stop it. You stop it. Sickness is a predator. It came to steal, kill, destroy. John 10, 10. Jesus said, I came that you could have life and have it more abundantly. Amen. All right, I'm going to stop. Stand with me if you would. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father God. I'm going to ask you this morning if there's something in your life that you need to just put at the foot of the cross. And the, I know these are awkward moments, but it's, just a, it's a good thing for you to do it. And there's something, look, somebody did something to you or you've been through something or you're carrying something with you today.
that's just really hurt you um, and you want your still heart is still crying out for justice and there's just really nothing that can be done about it. I'm going to ask you right now, if you would, to just in a moment, just come to the altar and kneel down and lay it at the foot of the cross. I mean, the, that image of doing that, of just saying, Lord Jesus, and it doesn't have to be long. You don't have to cry. You don't have to beg. Just, Lord, I lay this down at your feet as I humble myself before you. I draw near to you and I leave this before you. Is there anyone here while, you're, while heads are bowed? Look, you want to come and do that right now.